Well, today we're wrapping up our series, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And um, I don't know about you, but I've been just spending a lot, I pray, but also been spending a lot more time in prayer um, just on uh, so many things that are going on in our, our country, our world, and also locally too. I know um, we have many people that are struggling with so many different things between loss and, and uh, aging parents and things in our own lives. And, um, and, and so I, as I was thinking about this series, you know, wouldn't it be just so great to like hear directly from God like uh, Habakkuk did, like the prophets did, like you say something and then you like hear it back. But yet we see time and time again that God speaks through different means in different ways. And um, I'm going to start out with a little bit of a story today. How are y'all doing, by the way? Wonderful. I got a, yeah, not just like, yeah, good. I got a wonderful, wonderful three syllables there. Big words. Like second shots. Okay, good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm grateful to be here with you all. Well, story I'm going to start off with, um, maybe you've heard of this guy, his name's William Randolph Hearst. He was a wealthy newspaper publisher, uh, late 1800s, early 20th century. He had an incredible collection of art, um, something I didn't quite know about him before, but he had a mansion in Northern California where he actually housed his art. And on one occasion, he learned of some artwork that he was determined to obtain something he really, really wanted. And so what he did was, since he was super rich, he sent an agent abroad to search for this art piece. And months went by, and there was no sight of this specific piece. Um, he was complaining that maybe he couldn't have it, why couldn't he find it, that kind of thing. But then the agent came back to him and reported that the treasure had been found but it would not cost him a single dime. And that's because the artwork was already in Hearst's warehouse with many other treasures that had likewise never been uncrated. But in his possession the entire time. And so it was reason to celebrate. Well, I wanna ask you the question, have you ever pursued something only to find you've had what you've needed all along? You've ever pursued something only to find you've had what you've needed all along. So hold on to that for a couple minutes here because we're in this series, we're wrapping it up today in the book of Habakkuk. If you haven't read it, super short book, it's three chapters long. You can read it in one sitting. Um, Habakkuk was an Old Testament minor prophet. Like, you know, we kind of had major leaguers, minor leaguers. Well, he's one of the 12 minor prophets, the shorter books. He wrote this in about 600 BC, so about 2,600 years ago. But he's different than the other 12 minor prophets, the 12 shorter books um, in the Old Testament. And that's because all of them represented God's message to the people. A prophet would receive a message from God and then share it with the people. But only Habakkuk represented the people's message back to God. He was the only one you would say like to talk back to God in that regard. And so you might wonder why this took place. Well, the last two weeks we've been talking about how God spoke to Habakkuk and he told him that the people are corrupt, your people are corrupt, they're kind of going crazy here and they're going to be judged, they're going to suffer consequences. And Habakkuk kind of turned to God and spoke to God however he was speaking to God and he said, well, I don't like it, God. I'm not, I don't think this is a good thing, but actually you're right. You ever felt that? Like, you know, 
you've been doing messing up, like you kind of have consequences that come with your actions. But here's what really, what really angered Habakkuk was that God not only said that they would suffer consequences for their actions, but that God would use a people who were more corrupt than they were to destroy them, the Babylonians. Remember the first week, if you were with us, we were like, boo, right? The Babylonians, he didn't like the Babylonians. Boo, hiss. Like, they're the meanies. They're the people that are worse than the worse. And you're using them to, like, to put these people, the, the Israelites in their place? Like, what's that? And so Habakkuk's, like, his response is like, well, God, that doesn't seem fair. God, that doesn't seem fair. You're supposed to be just but it doesn't look like that at all. Like to use the bad, bad guys to like put us in their, your, their place, like what's with that? And, and so we use a diagram to kind of illustrate the, uh, this kind of Habakkuk place in our lives when you know, things seem to be going great and our prayers are answered and we seem close to God and then there's kind of this downturn, this kind of downswing called like the dip when we're like, what the, you know, oh my gosh, what's, what's gonna happen, right? Huh, God, like what are you doing? You know, most of us can relate to that. And what do we usually do? Well, we talked about our responses. Sometimes we deny the whole thing. And we say, well, you know, I'm just going to deny that this is going on. And, and, and I'm just going to, like, believe and receive. And I'm just going to do that. And then kind of the others of us say, well, fooey with the whole thing. I don't care anymore about faith or God or church or anything. And I'm just going to go do what I want. It's all a bunch of fooey anyway. But yet we talked about this kind of middle place, though. This place of both wrestling and embracing, because that's what Habakkuk's name actually means, is to embrace and to wrestle. And in chapter one, we talked about a time of questions. That's where Habakkuk starts. That, that well, there's a time of questions in our lives that, that we need to be able to ask those questions, and God can take it. God can take our questions. And then last week we visited in chapter two where Habakkuk goes into what we would call a season of waiting, of waiting on God. I don't know if anybody this week got in your watchtower just to do a little bit of listening, a little observing, taking a different perspective to see what might God be saying, what might God be doing. And so God says to Habakkuk in that time, so he says, be quiet, listen, I am going to speak. And he says to write it down and wait on me. But then we get into chapter three and we see something that's very beautiful and very powerful. And though the circumstances around all these events don't change in this story, Habakkuk's faith and his worship of God goes to a new level, what I call a chapter three level. And chapter three talks about the place of worshiping anyway. The place of worshiping anyway, no matter what is going on. And kind of the New Testament kind of phrasing of this can be found in, in, James, in the book of James, where James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And with perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete without anything lacking. And so it's with that foundation we're going to dive into Habakkuk chapter 3 today and really unpack what this looks like to worship Anyway, so jumping right in, so back at three, uh, chapter three, verse one, starts out a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on what? You want to say it? Shigenoth. So, uh, what in the world is that weird word in my Bible? You ever come across those? They're very weird things. It actually means 
that this is a musical setting for a song. So let's back up. Habakkuk was probably a temple um, a musician or kind of worship leader. So a lot of the, how things are written is, is kind of written in song. And this word, shigenoth, I think Will Smith later picked it up and made his song, his hit song, Get Shiggy With It. Right? Well, truly, I wouldn't guess that, but anyway, truly, it's, it's most likely a setting, a musical setting for a song. So you can imagine that these words were probably sung. And so going to verse two, he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day and our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. He, he's saying here, he's saying, God, I remember, I've heard about your miracles. I've heard about your power. I've heard about your glory. I remember them, but God, you're not doing that right now. Have you ever been there? Like, you look back, you're like, I remember these things. I've seen what you've done before, but, but God, why are you not doing that right now? And I have to say, like, personally, like, if, if I was totally honest with you, uh, I'd say that there's some seasons in my past then God, that when God's presence seemed more real than others, and, and where his power seemed more evident than other times. And the Hebrew word that's translated here, the word renew, renew them in our day is what he says. He's, the Hebrew word is, is kala, kala. And it means to renew, but also means to revive and resurrect and restore. This desire for resurrection is inside all of us, if you know to restore that God, you would bring new life and that you would do it again. But then we see what Habakkuk has to say about this idea of worship, of worshiping anyway. Once again, he doesn't agree with what God is doing. He's questioning here right now. But worshiping anyway involves first remembering what God has done. We have to remember. We have to look back and remember God's faithfulness and character, just what we sang this morning, the goodness of God. Sometimes we have to sing that to remember it, that it gets inside of us. What Habakkuk does, he looks at things, he goes on to look at things that kind of trigger spiritual memories. And, and you know how certain things can trigger memories? Certain smells, right, can trigger memories. Um, maybe grandma's house is associated with apple, the smell of apple pie. You're, you smell apple pie, you remember the days of grandma, but some of you are like, no, grandma's house is like mothballs, right? You smell the mothballs, you're like, ah, grandma, right? Grandma, all that kind of stuff. But, but, but certain like smells trigger memories. I would say also certain songs trigger memories, isn't that right? We just had our little uh, Will Smith getting jiggy with it. You know where you were when you were dancing to that. Some, I, I learned about this guy named Lawrence Welk, um, and he had a show apparently, and um, there was a song, there was something with bubbles, there was a bubble like episode or something, and you remember, I talked to several people that remember where they were, like sitting on the, like, the floor watching this with their parents or grandparents or whatever it was. Um, Neil Diamond hits, you remember Sweet Caroline, Bum, 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 yeah. You remember where you were when you first heard that or something that happened during that time? One of my favorites, though, is Eric Clapton. You look wonderful tonight, right? That song, you remember who you were slow dancing with, right? Remember at that, that little uh, dance that you had in eighth grade or maybe it was at so-and-so's wedding and they're not together anymore, but you remember dancing there, right? We, certain things can trigger memories. And that's what Habakkuk does. He goes down memory lane 
this kind of journey, though, not about those old times, but the memory is about the goodness of God. And so he goes on to say, he's remembering this. He says, God came down from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. God, his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. And some of us, you know, we see those word, those places where we're like scratching our head. We're like, well, what does this place mean? Well, to God's people, they would have known exactly where those places were and what it meant and what took place there. Just like today, you know, we can look around at different cities and places and towns and even historical landmarks. And, you know, if you talk about Gettysburg, you're like, okay, I, you know, have, I don't really know where it took place. It was part of the Civil War, right? You're going to know those places and people. And so, so he's relating back to a time when God delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. When God took his people to this very place, it was a, a place where they became a new people of God again. He's connecting it here, remember? The renew, revival, resurrection. Become again, create us new, God. And he's saying, like, I remember that place that took place before. And God, I'm asking you in this that you would do this again. We need things to remind us. We need to look back and remember. That's why each week here at Table Life Church, we, we participate in the table, in the bread and the cup, because we're forgetful. It's not that there's anything magic that happens around this table that all of a sudden, like, you know, boom, like something goes through your body and like, no, it's a reminder. It's a reminder of our need of grace and what Jesus had done for us, his sacrifice. So Habakkuk continues, remembering, bringing back these memories. He says, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He's recalling all these things, these stories. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. So let me just pause there. Did your mom or dad ever have a look like that that made you tremble? Right? The look? They didn't have to say nothing. They said absolutely nothing. They gave you the look, right? And you what? Like stopped. You like dropped it. Like, you know, you don't have to do anything. That's the look. That's the look that God's giving here. And so verse 6 says, The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. And then Habakkuk goes on in verses 7 through 15, and he goes on. We're not going to read those together. But he remembers God displaying glory and power over and over again, the sense of his guidance of his people through the ages, what God is capable of, and, and how he calls on God to renew those deeds today that we have to remember. We have to go back to who I, I know God to be, it's not recreating the past and what took place there, but it's calling on God, looking at back and seeing his actions and relying that he's the same God today and that God provides. And maybe for you, maybe looking back on your God story, maybe it's not dramatic. You know, maybe you didn't uh, have an addiction and then all of a sudden you have a come to Jesus moment and you were miraculously taken out of that and now you have, you're a person of faith or, or maybe you were in prison or in a broken relationship and God healed all those things or that kind of thing. Maybe for you it's not dramatic. But maybe your story involves a time when scripture, you started to read the Bible and it came to life and you're like, whoa, like this was just kind of words before and I don't know why. And, and maybe there was a certain pastor in your life, or a youth pastor, or children's pastor, or maybe there was an older adult, maybe it was a grandparent, 
someone in your life. Maybe there was a time of baptism. We celebrated baptisms a couple weeks ago. You know, those are kind of mile markers in our journey. It's a place to look back to, and we have to remember it. We have to remember those places and those moments and those people. And I would dare say, it's good from time to time to revisit those physical places. You know, if you can physically, maybe it's in proximity, maybe there was a, a camp that you attended or a certain location at a house or a park or among people. I, I go back sometimes to those physical locations to be reminded of what God has done and how he's brought me through. Sometimes we need to make those little pilgrimages, even if it's an hour or two out of our way, to be reminded of God's goodness. But then we see what Habakkuk brings us to about worshiping anyway. And I think this is kind of his second point here is just as important, that we also need to accept what is happening. We need to accept reality. It doesn't mean that we stop praying, but I think too many of us, too many of us Christians, we kind of suffer from what I call as HITS, H-I-T-S, head in the sand syndrome. You kind of like you stick your head in the sand is like I don't you know what is this? the ostrich they really don't do that but for some reason we have like a tail that says that they do but you stick your head in the sand right ignoring the red flags in your health you know there's things going on you're like oh I don't see it I'm fine I feel good right everything's good or or in your marriage in your relationships maybe even in your finances and you see those things, but you kind of have your head in the sand. And we see this come about in verse 16 after, after hearing the Babylonians are coming to destroy God's people. He says this, he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come, upon, come on the nation invading us. See, Habakkuk does not decide to go into head in the sand syndrome. He, he instead looks squarely in the, the truth in the face, and he says, you know what? What I'm facing here, what's going to happen, this is not a fun season. Let's admit that. This is not gonna be fun, this, I don't like it, but even in the midst of it, I'm gonna continue to trust God, and I'm gonna continue to worship. I'm not gonna deny the reality of what's happening right here, but I'm going to continue to trust God. Uh, so let me give you kind of an example of that from, uh, from my own life. So when I was a kid, um, I like to go to like Ocean City, like Wildwood, New Jersey. And, um, you know, they always sell those like little hermit crabs, right? On the boardwalk, you can go. Anybody ever have hermit crabs? They're ugly little things, right? They're like ugly. And um, I love them. I had like a, like a terrarium in my room, a tank that they lived in. But of course, what happens? You go on vacation, right? And you can't take hermit crabs with you as along with any other pet, whether dog, cat, hamster, or whatever. So you have to get somebody to watch the things. And it's not that hard to take care of a hermit crab. They just take like some little fish food and stuff, keep them wet, keep some, keep some water there. So we had a neighbor this one time. Uh, they lived close to us and they, I think I had like two hermit crabs. They took them and they said, oh yeah, well, you know, we'll take care of them. It's pretty easy to do. So we went on vacation, came back, went to their house to get the little cage that they were in and brought it back. And I'm like, I think I was like maybe eight, seven or eight years old. And I'm like, mom, this doesn't look like Hermie. This doesn't look like Hermie. Like it had a similar shell. It was probably like that big, very similar shell, but a little bit different. It didn't have the green in the shell that Hermie had. And I'm like, look at like, no, it's, that's not Hermie. She's like, oh yes it is. It's fine. You know, it's all, it's all good. Well, 
I found out a little bit later that, yes, Hermie had gone on to heaven and um, they tried to replace him with some little crab that looked like him with a little shell. <laughs> and it was like, oh no. And I, of course I was sad because you know, that was my hermit crab. Unfortunately, somebody had replaced it. But, um, and I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I think it's cheaper than therapy. So, um, <laughs> so I appreciate you listening. But sometimes we just have to face reality. Like the thing died, death is real, it happens. We're all gonna encounter that one day. Like things die in our lives, things we love, whether pets, people, all sorts of things. And sometimes we have to face that and, and, and not just deny and say, oh, it's not happening, it's not going to, to occur. And sometimes that something is going to happen that we don't like. A lot of things are gonna happen that we don't like. But in the midst of it, what do we do? We remember what God has done. We remember what God has done we accept what is happening, what's occurring now, and what God might be even doing through it. But then the third piece here, I think is the most important, is that we trust what God is going to do. We trust what God is going to do. Habakkuk says, I don't understand this, I don't like it. But then he says, he uses this kind of illustration, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vines, very sad day. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there is no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, there's no life. Yet I will, what? Be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I'll rejoice. Though I've got no reason to rejoice, I will rejoice in God my Savior. Even though, you know, there's even those in our lives, there's even those that we encounter collectively, there's even those, and maybe you're in it even though right now, even though there's sickness occurring, even though nothing is changing, even though everything is changing, even though you paid $400 at the gas pump the other day, right? But even though I choose to rejoice, I choose to rejoice. That's a Habakkuk 3 kind of faith right there. And that's, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for us is that we would embody a Habakkuk 3 kind of faith. The chapter 1 kind of questioning that needs to happen. A chapter 2 kind of waiting. But then a chapter 3 where we rejoice anyway. That we know those that have, are mature in faith. We've seen people like that who have all these things, these ailments, all these things that they've been through that have gone on and yet they rejoice. I had a close friend um, when I was working in the environmental science field, a close friend named Brenda who had MS. She still has MS. And she had all these procedures and things and uh, she was in the hospital at times and all. And I have to say like, she's like the, mo like the happiest woman alive that I know. Like, like she has problems like with mobility. She can't do things by herself all the time. And yet she rejoices. She rejoices and I'm like, I want that. Like, I want that, that kind of faith. And once again, it doesn't mean that we deny the reality. Like, yes, there are times we have to be sad. There are times that we have to cry. We have to use the emotions that God has given us. But yet, through that, we see and we know God's goodness and faithfulness. We know that there's enough yesterdays to trust him with all of our tomorrows. But watch this last verse, the last verse of the book. Verse 19 Habakkuk says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. 
even though he says, I will find hope in the Lord my God, and he will take me to new heights. And that's it. That's the end of the book. That's how the whole thing ends. There's no real answers here. We're kind of left kind of hanging. I said at the beginning that this is far from a sitcom story where everything's tied up in a bow at the end. And the events transpire that God had predicted and God had said would happen. The Babylonians come in and they totally demolish and conquer the people. And many of us, you know, we look at Bible stories and we're like, oh, well, you know, there's the heroes of the faith. There's people that, and we're like, that, you know, I thought it was kind of fairy tale like Well, it's not. There's like real life stuff and stories that are shared. But it's very real even 2,600 years later. But for us, I think Habakkuk shows us to do the Habakkuk, to embrace and to wrestle. And that when God doesn't make sense, we choose to rejoice. When God doesn't make sense, we choose to rejoice. And that we might not understand it, it's okay to push back, it's okay to embrace, but he'll take us to new heights if we choose to rejoice. A new place of trust, a new place of heights spiritually, relationally. And let me for just a minute here connect the book of Habakkuk to the good news of Jesus, because it all connects. The story of scripture all connects. Habakkuk says that God is too good to look on evil. He can't just let it happen and, and transpire. And, and I think that evil pervades all of us, that there's that thing called sin, that we're all inclined to be out for the number one, right? And that separates us from God. And yet it breaks God's heart to know that people turn away from him. But Habakkuk also said this, that the righteous or the just will live by faith. We're made right with God by one thing alone, and that is through the grace of God, through faith. It's a gift. It's a gift that we receive that we don't deserve. Through faith that Jesus' resurrection, the promises that God would also make, not just the destruction through the Babylonians, but that he would also promise of sending a savior, which he did, and that Jesus' resurrection and cross were enough for you and for me. And also to know that it didn't end there because he is also at work in our lives. He's at work in your life and in my life. And even so, that he will carry you even through death. And that's where faith comes in. That's what faith is, that we receive that, that we receive that, that we trust in that. It doesn't mean that we have it all together and all figured out about how everything fits together and all the pieces, but it's by faith, through God's grace, trusting do you trust him? Do you trust him despite what the circumstances are around you that you see and that you hear? Do you trust him? That's the big question. And I think the prayer for us is that when God doesn't make sense, that we would be able to rejoice, that we would say, Lord, give me a faith that worships. Even when everything feels wrong, give me a faith, Lord, that believes even when we don't. So I'm going to close our time together in our...